0: Guys, doing tonight? I'm excited to be back with you all. You guys have such an amazing uh, community here. And uh, Pastor Phil called me while I was in uh, Finland. Was it Finland last week? Whenever I was, I wasn't from Finland. Event here to Vancouver, and he's like, "Uh, "Can you fill in for me?" And I was like, "I'll do my best." (laughs) But I'm excited to be here, and I love the subject. Um, As you guys know, I'm a Messianic rabbi, I'm a Jewish believer in Yeshua, that's Jesus, his Hebrew name, and uh, we have a ministry called Fusion Global, restoring the roots of the foundations of the faith, reuniting the family, Jews and Gentiles, and I was in Finland, it was like, uh, kind of like the beginning of a joke, Uh, we're, we're launching this TV show into the Arab world for 40 million Arab viewers that watch the station and the people that I was ministering with, an Arab Israeli, an Palestinian, an Egyptian, and a, a German and a Jew walk into a church, right? It's the beginning of a joke. That's what I was with. But that's the kingdom, man. That's awesome. And so I was like, sure, I'd be happy uh, to come. And, you know, it's something that's near and dear uh to my heart. You know, this book, The Heavenly Man, was is birthed out of the the house, the Chinese house movement, which, I mean, it's just, they've seen incredible move of God in China, just incredible expansion, and even in the midst of persecution. And this book won the book of the year in 2003, and it gets its title. Brother Yun named the book Heavenly Man. Like, I thought it was, man, he had some heavenly encounter, and, you know, and that's so why No, it's actually because when he was imprisoned, because he's had such an impact, he became wanted by the government. And they imprisoned him, and they wanted him to give up the names of all of the, his name and all the names of the leaders in the, in the cell church movement. And he did not want to give up any names because he knew that would mean imprisonment, death, not, nothing good. So when they asked him his name, the only thing he would say is, I'm, I'm a heavenly man. <laughs> that was his response instead of giving up the names of, of the people. And that's what the title of the book comes for from, this idea of his answer, I am the heavenly man, in order to protect the other believers from the police. And one of the things that struck me, and I want to make this interactive, so I'll share a little bit, and you have questions or comments, you just raise your hand, you can jump in. And uh, one of the things that really struck me when we think about radical faith, when we think about, I'm going to read some quotes from Brother Yoon throughout, throughout, throughout the evening. But one of the things that struck me is that one of the things that kills radical faith is religion. <laughs> religion is one of the surest ways to kill radical faith is, is, is radical religion kills radical faith. And... Brother Yoon writes this, he writes, On many occasions I have been asked if I think persecution will come to the Western church. My answer might surprise you. I believe that if you find yourself enslaved inside a controlling church structure of legalism and bondage, then you are already being persecuted. So many Christians seem impossibly distracted from hearing God's voice. Instead of listening to that still small voice that brings true peace and joy, they blindly follow the voices of mainstream religion. The worst kind of person for a, for a worst type of persecution for a Christian is when you are separated from the joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I just want to encourage all of us tonight that we were created to be radical. Like, radical is in our DNA, right? The Holy Spirit lives in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit of God is radical. If there's not some radicalness to us, there's something radically wrong. And I think that we've settled for such an anemic faith for so long that what's normal seems not normal. Because we've settled, we, we've settled for such a radicalist, such, a, uh, such an impotent faith for so long. But the reality is if God is omnipotent, we can't be impotent if god is the omnipotent all powerful one there is no way we can be impotent powerless because we have the spirit of power that lives in us and not only is the spirit radical yeshua jesus is radical i mean there was nothing milk toast about him there was nothing there, there was nothing uh you know he 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 he, he he was radical because he turned the religious system of its day on its head in so many ways. And I want to be like him. And I, and I think it's so important to be talking about radical faith because we're coming into some pretty crazy times. And I think too many times what I see is we've traded the dream of the kingdom for the material dream for the American dream. And I think that's what Brother Eunice is talking about in this quote, right? That we, we've settled for something good when God has got something so much better for us. And this is what he writes. On some occasions I've struggled while speaking in Western churches. There seems to be something missing that leaves me feeling terrible inside. Many meetings are cold and lack the fire and presence of God that we have in China. In the West, many Christians have an abundance of material possessions, yet they live in a backslidden state. They have silver and gold, but, don't know, but they don't rise up and walk in Jesus' name. In China, we have no possessions to hold us down, so there's nothing preventing us from moving out for the Lord. The Chinese church is like Peter at the beautiful gate. When he saw the crippled beggar, he said, silver and gold have I not, but what I have In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise, take up your bed, and walk. When I'm in the West, I see all the mighty church buildings and all the expensive equipment, plush carpets, the -the state-of-the-art sound systems, and I can assure the Western church with absolute certainty that you don't need any more church buildings. Church buildings never bring the revival you seek. Jesus truly stated, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions Luke 12, 15. That's powerful stuff. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I think why we have to get back to this radical faith is because we're living in a time where God wants us to impact the world. And I'll be honest with you, like most churches are not overflowing with people, right? Look, we're not far from the Anaheim Vineyard. Back in the day when John Winver was moving in the fullness of his spirit, right, the stories were that people would come early and they, t- for the doors to open so that they could run in and get a seat. And today most people are running from church and not running to it. And part of the reason why people are running from church running from church and not to it, we tend to think, man, it's just because we, people, we, live in a, we live in a world that's so morally bankrupt and all the influences of entertainment and sexualization of culture and materialism. And there's some truth in that. But I got to be honest with you, they're not running from Jesus. They're running from us. If we're really honest. Because the reality is that most people don't know much about Jesus. The Jesus they know is the ones they see through your life and through my life. And the reality is, is like, the, it's like, how do you know if you want to go and watch a movie? You, what do you do? You watch, the, you watch the trailer. You watch the coming attraction, right? If the trailer looks good, you're going to go watch the movie. The truth is, our lives and our communities are meant to be the trailers and sneak preview of the coming kingdom. Whatever the kingdom is, our lives in, in, in some part is meant to look like that. Our communities in some part are meant to look like that. There's no hate in the kingdom. So if there's racism, discrimination in our communities, there's something wrong with them. There's no poverty in the kingdom. If we're not loving one another and taking care of one another, there's something wrong with our communities. And so the truth is that our communities and our lives are meant to be a sneak preview, a coming attraction of the kingdom and the king who's going to rule in it. But the reality is too many times our lives and our communities are more like a sneak preview to a horror flick because of the way we treat one another, because of the way we talk about one another, because the way we wound one another by our actions, by the way, because we settle for a form of godliness that lacks power, because we've settled for health and wealth and thinking that's the sign of blessing instead of a faith that turns the world upside down like the apostles did and those that followed in their footsteps. And so I think it's time to call us back to a radical walk with God. And let me tell you what, why Jesus was radical. Listen, even the book of Revelation, it talks about how the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And some of you are like, now when I read that, I'm like, man, God, he blings out heaven. I want to be in a place where the streets are paved with gold. Come on, Lord, you know how to do it right. But you know why the streets of heaven are paved with gold? It's because what is most valuable here is only worth paving the streets with in heaven. What it is, is a complete reversal of our values in this life. That's the radical thing about the Lord. He does a complete reversal of the values of life. We esteem gold, he paves the streets with gold. You know, it's like his, his things, listen, Matt, think about his teachings. If you're hearing it for the first time, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. If you want to be great, guess what you got to become? You got to become a what? A servant, right? Right? The only way to exaltation is through what? Humiliation. You know, it's like he, he, he radically turns like everything we think, he turns it on his head. He's radical. We gotta be radical too. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. The question means if you inline the word radical, religiously, and phonetic. That's the thing that I would give it. Okay. Okay, so what I'd say is someone who lives a radical life is someone who lives with zeal and passion and abandonment in pursuit of God, and seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so all of these things will be added unto us. I think religion in itself is not a bad word, but we're using it in the connotations that um, religion in the sense of a set of rules and traditions that we do because it's part of our culture, but doesn't really come from a real heart connection or passionate relationship with God. And so, religion isn't, like rituals aren't bad in and of itself. Like I'm a Jewish guy, I do lots of rituals. But I do it in the spirit. I do it out of a desire to connect with God through it. And there's sometimes a lot of believers, or even us a lot of times, are just doing things to go through the motions. It's like there's a lot of Christians who just go to church on Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do. And it's good for your kids because you want them to have some morality. It's so funny because I, I grew up on the East Coast where most people, most people that I knew were Jewish and Catholic. okay, And, you know, a lot of people were just in secular, even more secular. And, like, you know, if, you know most people if were just honest. We don't, I don't believe in Jesus or I don't have religion or I don't have faith. You know, I moved to the South, and I lived in North Carolina for a season where I went to grad school. I learned to say shalom, y'all, and things <laughs> like, bless your heart. It's a whole nother story. <laughs> and, and, and I realized that it's like the hard thing there is that everyone thought they were a Christian. Right? Everyone thought, like, because they were cultural Christians. Right? They were all raised with it and so, You know, so it was hard to, like, talk to people about real living faith with the Lord in some ways. Because everyone, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, what what do you want from me? But again, I think that there is... um, God wants us to live out of a... God wants us to live out of a real sense of connection and passion and a sense of his presence in our life not just going through the motions. I think always the danger is the natural tendency is, is, to, is to, it's like it's, the natural tendency is like to go from a state of being hot to being a state of lukewarm or cold. Because it's just like in a relationship with your girlfriend or your wife, it's just like r- love has tendency to cool over time if you don't stoke the fire and the reality is is that even in great moves of God, great moves of God usually begin as with passion and vision and then it becomes institutionalized. And that's when the fire goes out. And when you talk about the idea of being fanatical, I would say maybe a better word is funda- fundamentalist in the, in the not good sense of the term. Right, the 19th century was a positive term among theologians, but in the sense of the term of, I think anyone who is a fundamentalist in the sense of judgmental, critical, militant in their faith, it's never a good thing. I think it's a, a misgu- I think it's a, it can be a misguided, a misguided zeal that we, we want to watch out for. What I mean by that is, like, if your faith beats people up and leaves them bruised and battered as a result of their contact with you, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Um, If people leave feeling shame and condemnation, uh, there's something wrong. Because there's no condemnation in Messiah Jesus. Romans 8. So God convicts, but he doesn't condemn. You know, I mean, we're, we're, you know, the spirit convicts, but he doesn't condemn. So I think that, you know, there's a radicalness. And I think that, you know, in the very beginning, God creates heaven and earth. And I think the natural tendency for us since the fall is to become focused on Our our physicality dominates our spirituality. Our physicality dominates, takes dominance and precedence over our spirituality, meaning that we tend to first seek our physical needs and physical desires and physical pleasures over our spiritual desires and spiritual needs and spiritual pleasures. And I think the reality is, is most people see themselves as physical beings looking to have a spiritual experience, when we're really spiritual beings first and foremost that are having a physical experience. You see what I'm saying? We're primarily spiritual beings, not physical beings. That's what sets us apart from the animals. God breathes the breath of life in us and gives us his breath, which becomes our soul. And and it's that spiritual nature that sets us apart from the animals, from any other created thing. And so we, that's why seek first the kingdom of God. And so it's interesting that this is just an interesting little thing is that we cr- God creates the heavens and earth, but we become focused more on the earth than we do on the heavens. And so when Messiah comes riding into Jerusalem, he comes riding in on a donkey. And of course, it's for fulfillment of the prophecy Zechariah nine nine. Behold, your king comes to you humbly, riding on a donkey. But there's something of deeper spiritual significance there, and relating to being radical, and that is this: is that the word for donkey in Hebrew is chamor, c h a m o r, chamor, and it comes. No, you got to know. There's no vowels in Hebrew, so if you just change the vowels, the word can be different. So you have to know the context. So the the word Homer is the word for the physicality or materialism. So the word donkey and the word materialism comes from the same root. Think about it. The donkeys are a a beast of what? Burden, right? It's like a picture of the bearing the physicality of this, of the material, materials of this world, right? They were the original trucks, In the ancient world of the way you transported goods. Okay? So what's the point? When he comes riding on the donkey, what he is saying is that through him, heaven becomes realigned with earth, and now the spiritual, heavenly reality takes presence, precedent precedent over the physical reality. And so the kind of the question that we have to ask: are you riding the donkey or is the donkey riding you? And if, the, and if the donkey's riding you, excuse my French, who's the ass? So what I'm saying is that one of the things that kills spirituality, that kills a passionate, deep faith, is a drive for the acquisition of physical realities. And that can be in three forms, right? That can be in... The three P's. Pleasure. This is the first temptation of Yeshua, of Jesus. Turn the bread into stones. Right, he's physically hungry. Right, where do we get our pleasure from? I'd say there's primarily three ways. Through food, through sex, and through entertainment. Right, so the first is pleasure. Pleasure. The second is power. Why don't you throw yourself off this pinnacle of the temple and and let the angels, command the angels to to watch over you to demonstrate his power before all the people? And some people love power. Listen, I think most people who run for the presidency of the United States do it because of the power. They don't do it because of the money people age like 10 years in four as president, right? It's like, I don't know who'd, God bless anyone who would want the job, but it's a no win job. But you know, there's something about powers, people, some people that they're driven by power. A lot of times it's out of fear to control, but, and then the third is position. Bow down to me and I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. It's the promise of position without the pain of the cross. And so, pleasure, power, position, they're all good. But if they become our drives and dominate us, it becomes a focus on using them for this world. If the focus is to use them to advance the kingdom and to enjoy the goodness of God, that's great. But we have to be careful of that because those things will destroy our appetite and our hunger. I think that's one of the reasons why God warns against gluttony. Because literally, if you become so rooted in physicality, it can destroy your spirituality. You become slothful and you don't even want So there is that sense of, of what Brother Eunice is saying. He says that we're so, we have an, he says again, we have an abundance of material possessions yet live in a backslidden state. I I want to move on, but let me just say this. I mean, this is an example to me. When I was working with a lot of young people, right, and they were choosing their colleges and their parents were encouraging to go, would encourage them to go to the best schools, and I'm thinking to myself, like, some of these schools were schools, instead of, like, some of these schools were, like, horrible spiritual climates. And some of these schools, there was not even a good... Like it was in a place that was like churchless. Like there was, you know, like it's like it would be hard to find a good spiritual community. And I'm thinking, man, as a parent, if my really commitment is this, is if, if I really believe what Messiah says about the spiritual well-being of my son, son or daughter, shouldn't my first concern be like how is it going to impact them spiritually as opposed to how are they going to get, the, get to the best school so they can get the best job to make the most money? something wrong with those values. It's not wrong to go to a great school, but, it, but we got to change the way we think. And I think part of this is that, you know, Brother Yoon says this, he says, the world can do nothing to a Christian who has no fear of man. And I think this idea that um, man won't die from a, sense of, from a sense of want in the 21st century, but from, a, but from a lack of wonder. We're not created for a mundane existence. Sometimes we make our primary pursuit the pursuit of wealth when God wants us to make the, the, his, the pursuit the pursuit of wonder. Right? I know plenty of wealthy people that are depressed and their lives are falling apart. You can't encounter the wonder and the glory of majesty of God and be the same ever again. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, some of the, you that have heard my testimony, is that I, part of it, I was meditating one day as a Jewish kid. I went to heaven and I'd encounter with Jesus in heaven and it wrecked me for the rest of my life. Because once you experience a moment in the wondrous presence of the Lord, and you experience the presence and the power of God, what you, under, what you realize is that living in this world is kind of like living in Pleasantville. It's all in black and white. Heaven's in color. It's like every cell in your body feels. Every, everything is alive in a way you can't even imagine. And once you experience that, you realize, man, God, One day in your court is really better than a thousand elsewhere. It's not just a verse. It's real. It's like to trade the joy and the pleasures. You know, in his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Right? To trade that for silver and gold. I got to tell you, there's there's no one that ever died that said, man, I wish I would have worked more and spent less time with my family and friends. We need a sense of wonder. We need this, a sense of God's awesomeness, a fear of the Lord that helps us overcome the fear of man, and a sense of wonder that leads us to do radical things uh, for God, to pursue his wonder, to pursue... Uh, uh, and I believe we're in a season in which we're going to experience this year on the Hebrew calendar, 5776, decade of the 70, year of the 6. I believe this year is a season of fullness that comes from divine connection. A fullness that comes from divine connection. And Hebrew, every Hebrew word has a numerical value because you write numbers with letters, Hebrews, alphanumeric. So the word for fullness in Hebrew or abundance equals the number 76. And in John chapter 2, he turns the water into wine. We talked about this one time here. Hebrew, the word wine, yayin, has a numerical value of 70. And how many stone pots were there? Six. 76. Fill the pots to the brim. And six is the number of connection. When we live in connection with the Lord, there is a fullness that comes And I think part of the amazing thing about the miracle in John chapter 2 is that part of the miracle of the water into wine is that the wine was new old wine. The wine was brand new, but it tasted old. It wasn't old, old wine. It wasn't new, new wine. It was new wine that tasted old. What does that mean? It means that there was a supernatural acceleration in the maturation process of the wine, and that's the days in which we're living. There's an acceleration in the world today, right? It's kind of like for you, most of us here are old enough to remember cassette tapes, mm-hmm. when, you, the, when you rewind it, the closer it gets, the faster it speeds up, and the closer it gets to the end, right? That's the age we're living in. It's what Amos 9.11 says, the plowman will overtake the reaper. Supernatural acceleration. And the point that I want to make here is that there is a, there is an, when there is a maturate, there is an acceleration in the maturation process of our lives spiritually when we are saturated by the presence of God and his spirit. The more God's presence saturates our life, the saturation of God in our life will lead to our maturation, will lead to our transformation in an accelerated way. In the word, in worship, in service, in relationship, fellowship, those things accelerates the transformative presence and power of God in our lives and I believe God is wanting to do that. And I believe just like he turned the water into wine, God is wanting to do some miracles in our lives. But we have to learn to believe him for them. And yeah, I love this. Is one, this is hysterical. This, this quote cracked me up from the book. He says, you don't need miracle, miracles in the West. You have insurance. <laughs> You don't need miracles in the West. You have insurance. He says, many Christians have also asked me why miracles and signs and wonders are so prevalent in China but not evident in the West. In the West, you have so much. You have insurance for everything. In a way, you don't need God. When my father was dying of stomach cancer, we sold everything we had to try to cure him. When everything was gone, we had, we had no hope but God. And we turned to him in desperation and saw him mercifully answer our prayers and heal my father. We reasoned that if God could do that, then he could do anything. So our faith has grown and we saw many miracles. It's like... If you're desperate for God, God shows up in ways he doesn't. If we expect more from God, we'll see more. And I believe part of this living this, having this radical life for God is believing that God can do radical things. And again, you weren't created to be ordinary. You were created to be extraordinary. And we think about Acts 1, 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, do not part from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. For when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own Authority, but you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Friends, part of being radical is to know that God has given you power and authority through the presence of the Spirit who dwells in you. Power is the might to be able to perform the task, the might to perform the task. Authority is the right to be able to perform the task. Put it like this, power is a gun. There's two type of people that can have guns, right? Criminals can have guns. They might have power, but they don't have authority. The badge gives you the authority. The gun gives you the power. And one of the reasons why God... While Yeshua promises everyone to receive the spirit, in the Old Testament, only prophet, priests, and kings received the spirit. It was an anointing for service. So how many of you guys remember those old cowboy movies when there was a bunch of bad guys coming in the town and there was only one sheriff? What did he do? You got a posse, but to make the posse legit, what did he have to do to them? Deputize. You deputize them. God giving you the Holy Spirit means He's deputized you. He's called you to be part of His posse. He's given you power and authority to do some stuff for the kingdom in this place where He's set you. And the and the, you know, and and He sent out the disciples with He operated in power and authority. He delegated power and authority to the disciples. He called his 12 disciples, Luke 9, 1 through 6, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal the sick. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He gave the disciples power and authority. Yeshua says, Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. We've been given power and authority to do this. And Yeshua says to and then Yeshua says this, you will do greater things than these. We're to follow in his footsteps. He's saying, Look, I, I'm going, I'm giving the Spirit, you're gonna do greater things than these. How is that possible? Philippians chapter 2, Jesus emptied himself. He doesn't do one miracle until he's baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He did not do miracles out of his divinity. He did it out of his humanity, empowered by the Spirit of God. Just be clear, he never stopped being divine. But Philippians chapter 2 says he laid those aside. The, he chose not, willingly chose not to operate in those. He operated as perfect man, empowered by the Spirit, as a model for us. And that's the only reason why he can say greater things than these will you will do, because if he was operating out of his divinity, all of us fall short no matter how much our mothers love us and think <laughs> we're just a little lower than God. Right? The reality is... He's anointed us and appointed us to do great things for him. And we have to trust him to be able to do that. And part of this walking in this radical life for the Lord, the radical faith, this fire and passion that sees God do incredible things. Because as you read this book, the reason why I say this is there's so many miracles in this book. It's like the it's like. A book like stuff you read about in the Book of Acts. It's like the crazy story. He's put in a maximum security prison, and he hears, brother, you hears the voice of God that says, "Just walk out the front door." Really, just walk out the front door. So he 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 knows it's the voice of God. He's got to do it, and he finds the doors have been left open. The guards are standing there. They don't say anything. He's like invisible. They don't see him. He walks straight out of the door and escapes and goes free. The Chinese government, in their official report, said he had no help in his escape. We, like, no human help. We don't, know how we, we don't know how it was done. No one has ever escaped from this prison, ever. How do you explain that? It is a miracle. But it's a miracle because he had, a, a, he had such a, a radical faith. Because I got to tell you, most people, most of us, if we're in a maximum security prison, knowing that if we try and walk out, we're going to be shot on the spot, would say there must have been something in my rice this morning that didn't quite agree with me. I don't know what I'm hearing, but that's certainly not the voice of God. That's a pretty radical thing. But let me tell you what, to see God to be radical, one of the things you have to do is have a radical dependence on the Lord. And that's what he's saying when he says, You don't need miracles in the West. You have insurance. You have doctors. You have Western medicine. We don't need to depend upon God in the way that many people in other parts of the world do, especially in those places where you'd have to die for your faith, where there's something really on the line for your faith. There's a radical dependence of God that allows us. And because here's the thing, it's like some of us are like, man, I want to hear the voice of God. Who wouldn't want to hear the voice of God more, right? He says, I, my sheep says, I, you, you'll hear my, you know, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. But let me tell you what, you want to hear God's voice more? Let me, let's just be honest. You have to first respond to the, when you hear his voice the first time. The more we respond to his voice, the more of his voice we hear. But if we don't respond to the revelation that he gives us, guess what? He's not going to continue to give us deeper and more revelation until we operate in obedience to what he's already given us. This radical dependence upon God. You know, one of the things that I love is that, you know, one of the things God is doing in our ministry is he's bringing these Arab brothers into my life. Because it's such a powerful picture of the kingdom in the world where Jews and Arabs are, they are more just Arabs, they're Palestinians. Where there's such, you know, people can't get along. It's a powerful picture of the kingdom. And not too long ago in the spring, we had a guy come. He's never told his story publicly. And his family was a key family in the PLO. And he came to faith and he had to go into hiding out of fear for his life. And he told his story publicly for the first time with us. Israeli soldiers had uh, killed his father in front of him. It's just a crazy story, but God put love and forgiveness in his heart for the Jewish people. And, you know, afterwards, we're sitting there talking. he's like, Brother Jason, he goes... When we, because he shared this story, it was, uh, it was like a holy moment. And, and I went and I just cried with him and asked for forgiveness for the things that had been done to him. And God showed up in that moment. He said, Brother Jason, that was such a holy moment. He said, I'm so glad I found you as my brother. He said, You know what? I've got very few people that I can, can trust in this world. And he said, You know what? He goes, he goes, there's literally been times, he was telling us, where like he had to pray because someone wanted to introduce him to someone and, and, and he didn't know who that person was and they were like, we assure you he's a good guy and he prayed and God said, don't go, you're, you're dangerous and it turns out that this guy was a fraud and he's like, this, he's literally had to learn to hear the voice of God to live. When he was in hiding, when, I mean, he literally every before he made any decisions to go out, he had to hear the voice of God. And it struck me. Right? If we lived our lives like it, like, like our lives depended upon hearing God's voice, we would hear God's voice in a very different way. We'd hear his voice in a very different way if we really believe our, our lives depended upon hearing his voice. We would seek him in a different way. Right, when you get into the tough spot, man, you're like, you're crying out to God like you never cried out to God before. You know, God says to Israel, you know, be, you know biblically, the scriptures command us, the Torah commands us to say a blessing not before we eat, but after we eat. It says, after you are eaten and are satisfied, you will bless the name of the Lord your God. Why after you eat? Because the danger, God says, is when you've eaten of the goodness of the land and become satisfied and you think that you did this in your own strength and you forget me. Israel got in trouble when things were good, not when things were bad. Read the book of Judges. When things are bad, they're crying out to God for a deliverer. Depending upon the Lord. The Lord. And depending upon the Lord is foundational. He says, Brother Yoon says this He says, It's not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. It's not great men who change the world, but weak men into the hands of a great God. He says, When we arrive at the end of our own strength, it is not defeat, but the start of tapping into God's boundless resources. It is when we are weak that we are strong. Paul says, Right, my, our, his power is made perfected in our what? It's like I used to do a lot of karate when I was young. It's like it's only when you push yourself past what you're physically capable of that you find what your spirit is made of. The warrior within. This radical dependence upon the Lord. Yeshua depended upon the Lord. Paul depended upon the Lord. Moses depended upon the Lord. Abraham depended upon the Lord. Offer your son Isaac on the altar. And I think this radical dependence on the Lord, and stop for a moment, I want to talk about for radical dependence comes through building a radical faith and trust in God. The foundation of, of of having a faith that overturns the world is rooted in a radical faith and trust in the Lord. But let me stop there. Questions, comments. It's dangerous to give a rabbi a microphone.
1: Just, I, I don't
0: want to make you all the way back. Yeah. So do you have the the first two quotes you shared? Do you find yourself like enslaved in the church? Like a, like a yeah. a church. It isn't, uh, let me tell you where it's from, or if you want to grab me afterwards, it's... Um, yeah, I don't know the page, but it's in that book. It's, it's in the book, cool, cool. the quotes are from the book that I took out from the book. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. right because the radicals are doing what we would consider to be wrong right i'd ter- call that fundamentalist extremist yeah sir did you uh, want to say something oh yeah so again i th- you know i th- i th- yeah i mean i think there's you know again i think it's like anything else there's a good radical and a bad radical there's there's sex can be good or sex can be bad right? Let me be honest, right? The Bible can be good or bad. What I mean by that is there's people who use the Bible to create cults. <laughs> I mean, I, you, know, there, you know, anything, the misuse of anything is bad to manipulate, to, 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 to do it for your, to, to take advantage so I hear what you're saying. We can be careful with the term radical. We can call it zealous, but even zealous can be termed bad. Passionate. It's the name of the course. I didn't choose it, <laughs> so I'm just trying to go with it. But I, but I, but I, but I, but, I, but I you know. But again, I think there's this idea of there is you know we could say epic faith. You know. Um, but you know, I think one of my favorite stories about kind of kind of this, is kind of, you know, this kind of faith and trust, because, listen, is Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send forth men for yourself, if it pleases you, to let them spy out the land of Canaan that I will give to the children of Israel, one man from his ancestral, ancestral tribe, You shall send them, everyone, a leader among them. And the question is, why does this mission to spy out the land? It's it's a complete failure. They go in, they look at the land, they come back, they give a bad report. They're forced to wander forty years in the wilderness. This, these are the leaders of the tribes. Ten of the twelve fail horribly, and I think that the mission was doomed from the beginning because of one little Hebrew word. It says, "Send for yourselves." In Hebrew, it's "shlach lecha." The word "lecha" means it's not "send." It's "send for yourselves." meaning for your own benefit, not for God's. So it's kind of like the people were like, God says, you know, the land is good. Deuteronomy confirms, confirms this, Deuteronomy one twenty two. Then all of you came and said to me, let us send men to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we should take and the towns we will come to, the idea seemed good to me, meaning Moses, So I selected 12 of you, one from each tribe. The idea of the spies was the spies'. It was the people's idea. Moses thought it was a good idea. And we have to learn to discern between a good idea and a God idea. And they go into the land, and what do they see? What freaks them out about the land? They see what? They see giants. They see giants, giant guys in the land, hold on. They see giant guys in the land. And they're like, man, we're like grasshoppers in the sights of these guys. And so they get terrified. And I'll be honest with you, it's like they get terrified, they become fearful, they begin to doubt. And what do they do? Verse 28, it says, we went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit of... But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are very large. We saw the descendants of Anak, the giant there. See, friends, listen. You always get in trouble when God tells you to do something and you insert your big butts. The land is good, but. Lord, I want you, I know you're calling, but. And there's, you know, it's like, As soon as we, in the word but, there's the word Ephesus, it means nothing. And too many times we lack the faith and radical dependence upon God because they could only see through the eyes of the natural. There's giants in the land. They look really scary. But here's the thing is that, you you, you know, faith is spelled... R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. There is no faith without risk. If there's not a risk, it doesn't require faith. It's like I have a son, and he tried out for a class. uh, He he tried out for a movie. He was asked to to audition for a movie, and he did the best of everyone there. That's what they told him, and he didn't get the part. And he was crushed. Now he didn't get the part because they were trying to decide who the lead character was and it was a flashback scene that the child was playing back to this main character's childhood and the main character had blonde, they chose a character that had blonde hair and blue eyes. My kids have olive skin and brown, dark brown hair. They couldn't play the flat, but he's 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 six years old at the time. He doesn't understand he did the best one. He should get the part. And he gets so upset. I'm never doing, I'm never doing another movie again. I'm not gonna do anything with acting or anything. I hate it. And he's crying and he feels rejected. And I go up to him and I said, Avi, let me tell you one of the values of our family. He goes, What's that? What's that, Dad? I said, Let me tell you what. We in our family. Celebrate risk. It doesn't make a difference if you got the part or not. Tonight, we're going to go to your favorite restaurant, Magiano's, at the time, and we're going to celebrate the fact that you took a risk to go for the part because the only way you're ever going to Get the reward. The only way you're ever going to know if you're good at something, the only way God is ever going to use you is if you were willing to take a risk for him. Most of life, many things in life, you won't succeed. That's not what matters. What matters is that you had the faith and the courage to take the risk. And the problem is we create cultures in our families, in our communities, that kills supernatural, passionate, radical faith because we're so goal-driven that the only thing we want to celebrate is the achievement of the goal. Either that or we just give everyone a, a reward. When the point is, if you want to do great things in life, you have to learn to celebrate the risk. You want to move in the supernatural presence and power of God and create a culture of that? You got to create a culture that celebrates risk. You want to move in a, you want to see people's lives impact. Let me tell you what, we don't just celebrate when you pray for someone they got healed. We don't, and we don't, we don't just celebrate when you had the courage to share your faith and invite someone to church. We'll celebrate you just because you took the risk and did it. That's the amazing thing. Whether God heals or not, that's on him. Whether someone comes to faith or not, that's not on you. You can't make someone come to faith. Only God can do that. But he's not going to do it without you. Because someone's got to, you know, you know, for the most part, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and someone's got to go proclaim it. You had a question back there. Well, uh, I, 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 I yeah, go for it, man. Right. Right. Balaam? Hmm? Sure. Sure. sure Sure. Yeah. It's a great story. Only two animals that talk in scripture, the serpent and the donkey. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nephilim Right. Uh, No, I mean, the Palestinians are not modern day Philistines, but yeah, right, they take the name. But yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that, you know, again, and I want to talk about some practical principles here is that it's like, you know, David and Goliath. It's kind of like, here's the thing, is that Goliath was a giant on the outside, but he was a pygmy on the inside. David was small on the outside, but he was a giant on the inside. And it doesn't matter, again, spiritually when God empowers us, we can do great things. And David wasn't the only one to slay a giant. Some of his men slew giants, but everyone who slew a giant hung out with David who was a giant slayer. So if you want to be a giant slayer, you've got to hang out with some people that have giant slayer type faith. And here's the thing, to develop that, because here's the thing, the opposite of faith is doubt. Doubt opens the door to disaster. That's how the fall in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say to you? It all began with doubt. Right, as soon as we began to, as soon as we really give into doubt, I mean, there's a, normal questioning, but like an unhealthy doubt, like doubting the goodness of God, doubting whether God is really with us or not or cares for us. It always opens doubt. It always opens a door to disaster because faith is an agreement with God and with his promises. Unbelief is an agreement with lies and with the liar. And so the, and so the truth of the matter is, All of us have believed lies about God and lies about ourselves and lies about other people. And we have to come out of agreement with those lies to fully come into agreement with God and what he says so that we can experience the fullness of the freedom and the power and his presence in our life. Because whatever you, you know, when you believe the lies, you become enslaved to the liar. And they quoted the key to developing this deep faith, this faith like uh, Brother Yoon, is Brother Yoon. He said, he said he learned, he said one of the secrets he learned of how to have an incredible faith when he was getting locked, when, lock, when they caught him and they were getting ready to lock him in prison. He's like, God, don't you see? They're, they're, they're arresting the heavenly man and they're about to throw him into prison. And God's like, I know. I see everything. He says one of the things that sustain, has sustained him throughout his life, it might sound simple, is that it's knowing that God knows exactly what you're going through and knowing that God's hand is in, with you and on you in the midst of it. And so that's really the foundation of trust. The foundation, well, let me put it like this. There's a difference between faith and trust. Faith in Hebrew is emunah, e m u n a h, emunah. Emunah. Emunah is like the knowledge that God created and continues to run the world, the creation that nothing can happen without God. Faith is knowledge. Faith is faith is based on knowing. It's based on knowledge. It's based on understanding is the foundation of faith. Trust is faith in action. Trust is called, it's betachon in Hebrew, B-I-T-A-C-H-O-N, betachon. And it's kind of like there are 12 in the boat, 10 had faith, only one had enough trust to actually step out of the boat and ask to come walking on the water. Trust is faith in action. It's the willingness to step out of the boat. Abraham had faith in God. It takes a trust in God to put your only son, your beloved son, on the altar and trust God that if you have to kill him, God will raise him up from the dead. That's trust. My mom knows I fly. She hates to fly, she's scared of flying. She knows planes are, for the most part, safe but doesn't have enough trust to get on one. You know, faith without trust is like learning how to swim while keeping one foot on the shore. You gotta jump into the pool. And I think the reason why so many times we don't change the world is because we have faith, but we're short in the area of trust. And sometimes the greatest distance is the distance between here and here. Between the head and the heart. Yeah, I know God will meet all my needs. I know God is good. I know. But in our situation, in our tough times, sometimes it's really hard to trust him and to believe he will be there and show up for us. That's all of us. So, what are the keys to developing the type of trust that really leads us to having a deep radical faith like Brother Yoon is there's two keys. Number one, I know that God loves me and has faith in me more than I could have love or faith in myself. God loves you more than you can love you. You need to know that. He gave his son to die for you. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loves you. I got to tell you, my children, I don't know if they could ever love me as much as my wife and I love them. A father and a mother love their children in a way that's deeper than I think any child can love their parent until they have their own children. He's our Abba. He loves us that much. He loves us. Not only does he love us, listen, we think the foundation of faith and salvation is by faith you're saved. But that's not the, that's, that's secondary. The first faith is God has faith in you before you have faith in him. And God has more faith in you than you could ever have in yourself. Because God knows the end from the beginning. We kind of see the world like, Standing in front of a train, we see one car at a time. God stands above time and eternity. He sees the first car to the last car all at once. He doesn't see you for how you are. He sees you for what you're going to become. He knows everything you will do in your life from before you were born. There is no time with him. It's all now. Who was and is and is to come, it's all in him. God believes in you. You know, it's like in hip hop. I used to be hip hop DJ. Every good rapper has his hype man. Come on, yo, come on, yeah. Gets the crowd riled up. God's your hype man. Holy Spirit's your hype man. He believes in you. He's encouraging you. Know God loves you more than he loves yourself. And number two, God knows what's better than God knows better than you what's best for you. God knows what's better than I do, better than I, what is good for me. The absolute goodness of God. How many times did you think, man, if I only got that job and then the company exploded? How many, you know, I wish I so love her. I wish she'd marry me. And then she doesn't marry you and you're heartbroken and you found out like, she's like really like there's something wrong with her or something wrong with him or they did something crazy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God knows more than you know. And he works it out for good. He loves you. He doesn't promise you a perfect life, but he promises you good, that it'll work for good. A radical faith and a radical trust in God is erratic, that is the root of a de- radical dependence upon him And let me tell you what, we're in a very important season on the biblical calendar. We're in the Jewish high holidays. Every major event in Jesus' life happened on a biblical holiday. He died as the Passover lamb. He rose on first fruits. He poured out the Spirit on Shavuot. In Greek, it's Pentecost. The same day the Spirit was given, Acts chapter two, the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. Word and Spirit come on the same day because that's the means by which transformation happens creation came, the word spoken, spirit hovering over the face of the deep. The same way new creation and transformation comes, word and spirit. But I believe that, so we just had the Jewish New Year, then we went into, we went into the Day of Atonement, and now we're in the Feast of Tabernacles. And one of the key themes of this season is recognizing God as king and creator. And returning to God, asking forgiveness for the things that we've done wrong, asking for for cleansing, examining our lives. And part of the things that we need to do is not, we can't ask God to forgive us if we don't forgive. And I believe one of the most radical acts of faith and trust in God is to forgive someone that's hurt you. Part of Brother Yoon's radical faith is that he forgave those who brutally abused him and tortured him. And he even says in the book, he goes, I'd never pray cursings on the communists and the government. He goes, God rises up in the governments and he takes them down. He goes, obviously God has a purpose and I pray for their blessing. I mean, you think, I mean, you know how easy it must be to get, you know, how easy it, to get bitter of people who torture you for your faith for no other reason, because you love the Lord? And he has this radical forgiveness towards these people. And, like, we can't even forgive the guy who cut us off on the highway. And unforgiveness, an offense, is one of the things the that that Satan uses to destroy God's people. If anyone should know how to forgive, we should know how to forgive. You know, uh, Peter comes to Jesus like, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven, t- seven times? You know, in Hebrew thought, you have to only forgive up to three times. He's like, I'll double it and add one because I'm the man. Seven's the number of perfection. I'll say, look. And, and the Lord's like, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. 490 times, I got to forgive someone? Did he randomly choose that number? No. 490 is a lot of significance. We're not going to go into tonight, everything. But just real quick, the numerical wa- value of the word tamim, to be whole or to be complete, to be perfect, has the value of 490. Because you can't be complete or whole or or be working towards having a perfect faith if you can't forgive. 490 is the number of Bethlehem in Hebrew. And when you think about it, that makes sense because Jesus is the bread of life. And when we think about forgiveness, what is the number one symbol by we remember the forgiveness that we have in him? We what? The Lord's Supper, the bread, his body broken for our forgiveness. And in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and give us what this day? Our daily bread. bread. It's no coincidence. That's all tied together. Daniel 9, the prophecy 490 years. Until Messiah comes and brings atonement and free. I mean, there's so much there. But, friends, we got to have a spirit of forgiveness towards one another. And, I, you know, I had some guys look, I had to learn to really trust the Lord. I came to California, thought it was my dream job. Some of my friends got a multi million dollar gift. Some of my spiritual fathers from the owners of Forever 21. And these guys wound up really like treating me like Joseph's brothers one day. And I was really hurt. And right before the day of atonement, God says, you need to write them a letter and ask them for forgiveness. I'm like, I got to ask them for forgiveness? They need to ask me for forgiveness. And the Lord's like, do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous? If we can't forgive, if we can't let go, we're slaves in Egypt. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. We're lugging around a dead body because unforgiveness keeps us chained to that individual. Forgiveness is the key that breaks the connection. Forgiveness is not an elective. It is a requirement. There is no excuse for not forgiving. I know how, but it takes faith to forgive. huge. Why faith? Because you got to trust that God's going to do right. He's going to deal with it. But I just want to say there's a difference between faith and reconciliation. We're required to forgive, but we can't reconcile with someone Be go back into relationship if they're still destructive and dangerous and don't recognize what they've done and want to make it a change but we have to forgive them because God forgave us and that frees us and hopefully will free the other person. Yeah. Oh. In Judaism, if you have un- if you've wronged someone and you never asked them in their life for forgiveness, you have to go to their grave and you bring two witnesses with you and you ask them for your forgiveness in the presence of these witnesses because that's how significant it is. And Jesus says, if you have an ought with your brother and you're going to the temple to offer sacrifice, lay down your sacrifice, go get right with them and them offer your sacrifice. But look, if we really live by that principle, the world would be much more interested in what we're, who we are. I'll say two things in closing. One is I, I believe that, we're meant to have radical relationships, real deep relationships with people. And I think one of the things that that that, that, that makes our relationships difficult is that, like Genesis one, Bereshit, right in the beginning. But let me tell you something that had a, that happened before the beginning. Had happened before the beginning. Before the beginning God was all there was No one existed but God right there was nothing other than God Not even the angels So what did God literally have to do this is like forgive it's just an illustration. So forgive it. This is like This is like the world God was all that was and God literally had to make space for anything else to exist So the first thing God did before he brought anything forth is God created space and time. Space and time are the foundations of relationship. If you can't make space and you can't make time, you can't have a real relationship with God or with other people because you can't be full of yourself and full of God at the same time. You can't be full of yourself and have space for other people as well. I just did a message on this. It's really interesting. You can check out our website, um, sendmalibu.com or Rabbi Jason on Facebook. But we got to make space and we got to make time. And so many reasons, so many, you know, I, we have, like, the, I'd say the opposite of radical believers are fast food believers. Right? I mean, like, have you guys seen the movie Supersize Me? Right? The guy who lived on McDonald's for 30 days, he almost died. If you live on fast food, you will become sick. So I went to Finland, and the first thing I see when I got off the plane was Wendy's or Burger King. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what we send up. You know, I mean, good food takes time to prepare and to cook. Nothing that's fast is going to usually be that healthy for you. And if I told you that I spent two hours a week with my wife and my kids but they were a really quality two hours a week do you think i'd have a good relationship with my family but somehow we think we can give god maybe two hours on a sunday morning one day a week and somehow we're going to have deep relationship with god and really be transformed and be changed Because we're too busy the other six days of the week, and even biblically, God says, "Give me twenty-five hours, twenty-four hours. It's a Sabbath. It's a whole day for my family. We can't even we can't even give God two hours, and then we got to go shopping and watch football or whatever and do. But I think that you know we have shallow. There's so many shallow believers because we give God our leftovers and we rush our relationship with him. If you don't set aside time to just be with God, listen, if Satan can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Sometimes we can't hear God because we're just too busy and there's too much noise and we can't set aside the time for him. And sometimes we just need to slow down and make space and make some time for him and for others, if we can't learn to do that. And it's so hard in our culture, so much coming at us. Things are moving so fast. It's part of the reason why in places of persecution, they do have an ability to hear God and have an on-fire faith. Because let me tell you what, what persecution does is it strips away all the things that are not essential. and you're left with Jesus. (laughs) And they looked, the Sanhedrin, and they looked at these ignorant and unlearned men, and they marveled because they had been with Yeshua. Ignorant and unlearned men turned the world upside down because they made, they dedicated time and space to the Lord. And part of what I want to say is that this is my little hobby horse here, is that do you know what literally the word radical is, means literally the word radical? Whatever we said, that's not literally what radical means, mean, meaning that the etymology of the word. The word radical means root in Latin. Root, R-O-O-T, root. Like, that's why your hairs are called, the, the bottom part of your hair that attaches to your head, it's called radicals. I could use a little bit more radicals in that nature, in that way. But, <laughs> but radical means root. That's what it means in rat- Latin. And so, if you don't, there is no being radical if you're not connected to the root. So there's two things there. Number one, Messiah comes out of the root of Jesse. So to be radical, you got to be deeply connected to the root. Number one, that's the Messiah. But Paul, in the book of Romans, talks about the olive tree. And he talks about the wild branches being grafted in to the root of Of the olive tree. And what is the root? The root is the Jewish people, the Jewish foundations, the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And one of the things that I think has happened is that part of the reason why the church has become not, has become um, adrift is because the church is not, has been disconnected from the roots of their faith. For there to be fruit, there has to be roots and shoots. Too much of the church is like shoots without roots. Matthew 13 says this, it says, What can a scribe who understands the kingdom of God be compared to? Like a householder that brings forth both new and old Treasures. Too many believers have settled for the new treasures. Too many Jews have settled for the old treasures. When God wants us to have the full inheritance. We need both. It's like, there was this term, Some ch- they call it, churches call themselves New Testament churches. You want the New Testament, not the Old Testament? I mean, <laughs> I want the whole, it's called the whole Bible. Right? I, you know, I, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like if you don't know the old, how are you going to understand the new? If you don't understand the new, you're not going to understand the fulfillment of the old. It's like, it's like the old is the foundation and the new is the fullness. But if you don't have the foundation, you can't contain the fullness. And if you, ha- you know, and vice versa, what's the what of a foundation if there's not full? To lay a foundation and not build a house on it, what's the point of that? To have a vessel and not fill it, what's the point of that? But to have, but to, God's not going to pour out until there's the foundation or there's the vessel to fill it with. And one of the things the enemy has tried to do is he tries, to, he's tried to rob Christians of the Jewish roots and foundations of their faith, because it robs the church of its inheritance. It's like the road to Emmaus. Jesus opened up the scriptures and he showed how everything in them points to him. Friends, you know everything in the scriptures point to him? When you have that road to Emmaus experience, it says our hearts burned within them. They got a revelation. Listen, the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Beit. It's the letter Bereshit beginning. The last letter of the book of Revelation is the the letter N or Nun in Hebrew. Amen is the last word. The first letter Beit, the last letter N, that spells the word Ben. Ben in Hebrew means son. From the first letter to the last letter, the scriptures point to the son you know even what we just said it's like we talk about giving to god two hours of a week we don't have time for god we don't have space for him but look i gotta tell you one of the things that the the, it says this the jewish people haven't kept the sabbath the sabbath has kept the jewish people i can tell you that because we keep sabbath in my home like sabbath is a priority it's, changes. It's, it's, it's amazing for our family. Every week we come together. Friday night we have a meal together. And part of the Sabbath is creating peace through blessing. So we bless God. I bless my wife. I call my children. I lay my hands on them. My wife and I, we bless them. We call out their identity. We call out their destiny. My parents bless us. I bless my wife. My children bless me. And there's something so powerful about learning to rest and learning to give time and making family a priority. Let me tell you what, if the church took the Sabbath seriously, which is part of the roots of their faith, we'd have a radical church of mature believers. I'm not saying you have to keep Saturday, whatever you want, to, you know, but set aside the time, whatever day that is for you. And so there's something there about the roots and their shoots. There's something about Jew and Gentile coming together. This is John 17. It says, it says in this, Jesus says, I pray that these and those might be one, that that that, like I and the Father are one. Who are these? These are the Jewish believers. Who are those? Those are the Gentile believers who are coming. Because what is he going to say? I pray that these and those will be one, because so that. He says, so that you might be perfected in unity. Guess what? You're not perfected outside of relationship with God and with each other. That the world might know that the Father sent me. Until Jews and Gentiles become one, the world's not going to know that the Father sent Yeshua, that he sent Jesus. Unity is the foundation of creation, revelation, redemption, relationship. He died for relationship and it's the foundation of revelation. And I'll just say this as we close. Listen, we're right now in the feast of tabernacles. Most Christians have no idea what is the feast of tabernacles. Let me tell you John 7:37, Jesus got up on the feast of tabernacles and said, "He offers the promise of living water." Because there was a water drawing ceremony when they'd march around the, uh, from the pool of Siloam, they'd draw water, they'd march around the altar and pour out the water, saying, God, pour out your salvation, pour out your spirit upon us. And Jesus is saying, the water that you've been praying for, I'm it. I'm offering it to you. But there's something more. Did you ever wonder why Mount of Transfiguration, could you imagine being on the Mount of Transfiguration you're part of the inner circle, one of the three. There's Yeshua, Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear. And then he like rips off his clothes and like he removes his flesh. It's like the, his flesh is like the curtain to the Holy of Holies. And you see the Kavo, the Shekinah, the glory of God. And Moses and Elijah fade out in the light of the glory of, of the Messiah who is standing before you. And, you, and then as soon as the experience is over, what do you say? Uh, Lord, can we build you uh, booths? Because that's a good idea, because you just encounter the glory of God and two of the greatest Old Testament prophets, and you want to go camping. Let me tell you what. We camped for 40 years in the wilderness. Jews have no desire to go camping. They did it for us, all for all time. Why? build you booths. Another translation, build you tabernacles. Because what is the sign of the messianic kingdom? It's the feast of tabernacles. It's the seventh holiday in the seventh month that lasts for seven days. And Zechariah 14 says this, all of the nations of the world will go up at the Feast of Tabernacles to celebrate the Lord. Because the Word became flesh and what? Or literally tabernacled among us. They see Moses, they see Elijah, they see the glory, they're like, man, the kingdom is coming, it's here now. So let's build the physical representation of the kingdom, it's tabernacles. So it's like, guys, guess what? Jesus celebrated tabernacles. He so cele- and guess what? You are going to be celebrating tabernacles. Those aren't my words taken up with the prophet Zechariah. All nations coming up to celebrate Tabernacles, Jew and Gentile together. The fulfillment of John 17. On that day, Zechariah 14 says that same passage. On that day, Va'yom haHu Shemoachad. On that day, the Lord will be one, and His name will be one. When we're one, worshiping Him together in the New Jerusalem. So every major event in His life happened on a Jewish holiday. We're going to celebrate at least some of them for sure in the kingdom. And yet as believers, we don't even understand the basics of them. And I'm not saying Christians have to celebrate the holidays the way the Jews, but you got to, but there's something there for us, right? I mean, I'm a Jewish believer. I go for it, but you know, and you're, you can do that too. But, but there's something there for us. There's an inheritance. There's a picture there's a wisdom there. It's kind of like it's like I you know Easter beautiful, resurrection great, but I got to tell you Easter's not in the Bible. Passover is. And I'm going to tell you something. We talk, we give a you know a good Easter message is you got to preach a good message on the what? Resurrection. But let me tell you when you celebrate the Passover, guess what? You don't just talk about redemption. You sit around the table and you taste it. And you smell it. And you touch it. Right? It's like dip the matzah, the matzah, the bread of affliction. It's also the bread of freedom. Pierced, striped, bruised, broken, wrapped, put away, brought back. Isaiah 53, it's a picture of Messiah. Dip the bread in the bitter herbs to taste the bitterness of slavery. Kids don't forget this. Adults don't forget this. When Judas betrayed the Lord, he, the, he, Jesus said the one who was going to betray him was going to be the one who dips in the sop, in the bitter herbs. There's a blessing there. There's so much richness, and we're, watch, we're reading the Bible in low deaf, and God says, I want you to read it in high deaf. Come with me on the road to Emmaus. I want to show you some stuff. And some of us like, man, the Bible, I don't get the, I, you know, why? I don't, 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 why would I want to read Leviticus? There's, there's nothing there. Nothing there. Let me tell you what, the first letter of the word Leviticus in Hebrew, Vayikra, has a mystery in it that would revolutionize your faith if we understood it. I won't <laughs> talk about it tonight, because I got to, it's 829, so I'm going to honor the time. So friends, what I'm saying is, There is a radical dependence upon God that comes from a radical faith in God. That radical faith in God has to come from a radical trust in him. That radical dependence, faith, and trust leads us to walk in the radical power of God that can revolutionize the world to see the type of stuff brother Yoon did i got to tell you we've prayed for people seen him healed of all sorts of stuff man god show god can do it it's the same yesterday today and forever there's radical forgiveness god wants us to have like brother yoon and there's some radical and to get radical we got to return to the roots because when the old and the new connect and Jew and Gentile find themselves in the upper room, there's going to be an explosion in the world, and it's going to be the new Pentecost. That's why the enemy has tried to separate Jew and Gentile for 2,000 years, because he knows when we connect, we become an unstoppable force for change and transformation in the world. Listen, there's four women in the genealogy of Jesus. They're all Gentiles. Why? Because it takes Jews and Gentiles to birth the kingdom, to birth the promise, to birth the fullness. Boaz was Jewish from the tribe of Judah. Ruth was Gentile. She's a Moabite. When they come together, they birth the line of David. The church has been like a single parent family. I won't go into that tonight. But it's like it's been a mother that's lacked a father. Israel's Boaz, it's the father. The Jewish people have had a father without a mother. It's why the church has had sloppy agape and it's why the church and why the Jewish people have had some rigidity and sternness in their application of the Torah because they haven't had the fullness that comes out of that relationship of Ruth and Boaz. And what we're doing here tonight what we're going to do when I come back in November and teach some of the classes, when I come to speak here. Friends, the reason why I do it isn't because uh, I want you guys to like me and get to know me. I do it because this is the kingdom. we have got some Jew, i got a Jewish sister in the back, We have got some Jews and Gentiles in the room. This is the kingdom. This is like what God wants, man. I want to see it. And it goes back to where we started. And we'll close with this. Whatever the kingdom is, it is meant to be right now in our lives. Whatever is in the kingdom, we have access to it now. The kingdom has come, has broken in, It's come in part. It hasn't come in full. It's come in part. But that part is a real part. That's why there's healing today because the kingdom has come. That's why everyone doesn't, that's why every single person doesn't get healed because the kingdom's not fully here. But people really do get healed because the kingdom is here. Not everyone gets healed because we're living in the tension between this world and the world to come. But the kingdom is really here. And so whatever the kingdom is, we need, to, we need to try and live that. And But here's the flip side to that, which is what makes us radical. There's two sides to being radical. One is living the kingdom message now. And, and the other side of that is anything that is not kingdom, I'm not only going to not live in my life, anything that is not kingdom, this is what it says. It says, Yeshua, Jesus, was made manifest in the flesh First John to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. He's anti-kingdom, anti-messiah, anti-christ. So guess what? If it's not in the kingdom and it exists in the church, guess what our responsibility is? In love to root it out. The root the tares. If there's gossip, pull that out. If there's unforgiveness, pull it out. If there's jealousy or envy, pull it out. If there's racism or discrimination or hatred, pull it out. If there's sexual immorality, pull it out. If there's favoritism, if there's, if there's a misuse of, 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 of resources, bad stewardship, pull it out. What's up with these preachers driving Rolls Royce? Oh, my gosh. That's not the kingdom. The least of these. Come on. If that's the type of life and the type of faith and the type of home and the type of community that we establish, acknowledging that the kingdom isn't here, so we're going to mess up but our community and our homes are kingdom outposts. That's what they are. That's what they are. And to the degree that our lives and our communities reflect the picture and reality of the kingdom is to the degree that our communities and our lives are going to display the radical presence and power of God to transform the world so Abba I just want to thank you for everyone here and I thank you God for just their taking the time to be here to study the show themselves approved to get built up Lord where are the thousands of others Lord we want them but we want you to grab hold of us I'm praying, God, tonight you would break the spirit of doubt, the spirit of fear, the spirit of timidity. I'm praying whatever addictions or afflictions we have in our lives, whatever lies we have believed, we're just releasing radical faith. We're releasing radical hope. We're releasing radical love. We're releasing radical miracles and signs and wonders in our midst. And we're believing, Lord, for our sister, for her son, Micah, Lord, who needs a kidney transplant. They don't want to give him one because he's autistic. They don't think his life is valuable enough. Lord, just like Brother Yoon, who, who, who didn't have the money to help his father get cured of cancer, who didn't have a safety net, he trusted you to be his safety net. So I just bless my sister's son, Micah. And we say silver and gold have we none. But we have in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. He should rise and be healed and walk. That you should send a complete healing now in the name of your son, Yeshua Jesus, our Messiah. God, we say, whatever it is that we are struggling with, come and meet us now. We say, God, wherever we are lukewarm in our lives, we're saying, come in light of fire, send your Esh Kodesh, your holy fire. May we be like the may we be like the wood upon the altar that burned with a fire that was never meant to go out out. May we be like the burning bush that burned with the fire but was not consumed. God, come and consume us. And God, give us a new passion. Give us a new zeal. Give us a new, God, boldness for you. Give us a new level of faith. God, do something new in us. Shake everything that can be shaken. Break everything that needs to be broken, God. We give it all to you. We commit it into your hands. God, we cry out to you. We have nothing but you. We want nothing more than we want you. And God, we ask, we lay it all on the altar before you, and we ask for you you to establish your blessing upon us. We thank you now in the name of your son. I say just I bless everyone here. Establish your peace, mercy, goodness, and kindness in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. And thank you, Lord, that they listened to me rant for so long. I bless them in your son's name. Amen.